Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel, Wisteria here. We're going to do Korean fairy tales, the rabbit and other legends. The Koreans are great students of nature. Nothing seems to escape their attention as they plod through the fields or saunter for pleasure over the green hills. A naturally picturesque landscape is preserved in its freshness by the law that forbids the cutting of timber or fuel in any but prescribed localities. The necessity that compels the peasants to carefully rake together all the dried grass and underbrush for fuel causes even the rugged mountain sides to present the appearance of a gentleman's well-kept park, from which the landscape gardener has been wisely excluded. Nature's beauty in Korea may be said to be enhanced rather than marred by the presence of man, since the bright tints of the ample costume worn by all lens a quaint charm to the view. The soil-begrimed white garments of the peasants that work in the fields are not especially attractive at short range, but the foot-traveller, clad in a gorgeous gown of light-coloured muslin, adds a pleasant touch to the general effect. As the winds about the hills following one, of the short-cut paths, while the flowing rows of brightly coloured silk worn by the frequent parties of gentry who may be met, strolling for recreation, are a positive attraction. Nor are these groups uncommon. The climate during most of the year is so delightful. The gentry are so pre-eminently a people of leisure, and are so fond of sightseeing, games and music, that they may be continually met, taking a stroll through the country. As has been said, nothing out of doors seems to have escaped their attention. The flowers that carpet the earth from snow till snow have each been named and their seasons are known. The maha indoors throws out its pretty sile blossoms upon the leafless stem, sometimes before the snow has left. As though summer were born upon winter's bare arm, with no leafy spring to herald or approach. Then the autumn snows and frosts often arrive before the great chrysanthemums have ceased their blooming, while between the seasons of two heralds bloom myriads of pretty plants that should make up a veritable botanical paradise. Summer finds the whole hillsides covered with the delicate fluffy blooms of the pink azaleas, summoning forth the bands of beauty seekers who have already admired the peach and plum orchards. Great beds of nodding lilies of the valley ushering the harvest, and even the forest trees occasionally add their weight of blossoms to the general effect. The coming and going of birds is looked for, and the peculiarities and the music of each are known. As a rule, they are named in accordance with the notes they utter. The pigeon is the pedulke, the crow the komagu, the swallow the chap pai, and so on. One bird, I think, it is the Oriolo, or Oriole, is associated with a pretty legend to the effect that, once upon a time, one of the numerous ladies of court had a love affair with one of the palace officials, a Mr. Kim, it was discovered, and the poor thing lost her life. Her spirit could not be killed, however, and, unappeased, it entered this bird, in which form she returned to the palace and sang, Kim 
Kempulago, Kempu, Kom, Kempulago. Then, receiving no response, she would mournfully entreat, Kempu Gosipso, Kempu Gosipso. Now, in the language of Korea, Kim Pola Lago means call Kim or tell Kim to come. And Kim Pogo Sipso means I want to see Kim. So even to this day, the women and children feel sad when they hear these plantative notes and unconsciously their hearts go out in pity for the poor lone lover who is ever searching in vain for a Kim. Another bird of sadness is a cuckoo. And... The women dislike to hear its homesick notes echoing across the valleys. The Pachu Kukruk is a bird that sings in the wild mountain places and warns people that robbers are near. When it comes to the hamlets and sings, the people know that the rice crop will be a failure and that they will have to eat millet. The crow is in the great disfavour as it eats dead dog and brings the dread fever. Yim Bayung. The magpie, that's impudent, noisy, nuisance, however, is in great favour. So much so that his great ugly nest is safe from human disturbance, and his presence is quite acceptable, especially in the morning. He seems to be the champion of the swallows, that colonise the thick roofs and build their little mud houses underneath the titles. For when one of their great lazy house snakes comes out to sun himself after a meal of young swallows, the bereaved parents and friends at once fly off for the saucy magpie, who comes promptly and dashes at the snake's head amid the encouraging jabbering of the swallows. They usually succeed in driving the reptile under the tiles. Should the magpie come to the house with his excuse for a song in the morning, good news may be expected during the day. Father will return from a long journey, brother will succeed in his civil service examination and obtain rank, or good news will be brought by post. Should the magpie come in the afternoon, with his jargon, a guest, not a friend, may be expected, with an appetite equal to that of a family of children. Well, if the magpie comes after dark, thieves may be dreaded. The office of house guard is also bestowed upon the domestic goose. Aside from its beauty, this bird is greatly esteemed for its daring in promptly sounding an alarm. Should any untimely visitor enter the court, as well as for its bravery in holding and pecking at, in some cases, driving out the intruder. The wild goose is one of the most highly prized birds in Korea. It always participates in the wedding ceremonies, for no man would think himself properly married had he not been presented by his bride with wild goose, even though the bird were simply hired for the occasion. The reason for this is that these observing people once noticed that a goose, whose mate was killed, returned to the place year after year to mourn her loss and such consistency to seek, by this pretty custom, to command their wives. They further pledge each other at this time in these words, Black is the hair that now crowns our head, yet when it has become a white, as white as fibres of the onion root, we shall still be found faithful to each other. The white heron seems to be the especial friend of man. Many are told tales of the assistance in rendered individuals. 
In one case, the generous-hearted creature is said to have pecked off its bill in its frantic attempts to ring a temple bell for the salvation of a man. One of the early stories relates to how a hunter, having shot an arrow through the head of a snake that was about to devour some newly hatched herons, was in turn saved by the mother bird, who pecked to death a snake that had gotten into the man's stomach while he was drinking at a spring. The pecking, further, was so expertly done as to not injure the man. The swallows are everywhere. Welcome, while their thievish sparrows are killed as often as possible. The former live in the roofs of the houses and usually awaken the inmates by their delight at chattering at each recurrence of dawn. A charming story is told of the swallows rewarding a kind man who had rescued it from a snake and bound up its broken leg. The anecdote is too long to be related in this connection further than to say that the bird gave man a seed which, being planted, brought him a vast fortune, while a seed given to his wicked brother who was cruel to the swallows worked his ruin. The bird held in the highest favour, however, is the stork. It is engraved in jade and gold and embroidered in silk as the insignia of rank for the nobility. It is the bird that soars above the battle and calls down success upon Korean arms. In its majestic flight it is supposed to mount to heaven, hence its wisdom, for it is reputed to be a very wise bird. A man once said to have ridden to heaven on the back of a huge stork, and judging from the great strength of the pair, the writer once had as pets, the people are warranted in believing that, in the marvellous days of the ancients, these birds were used for purposes of transportation. The animals too have their stories, and in Korea, as in some other parts of the world, the rabbit seems to come up best, as a rule. One very good story is told concerning a scrape the rabbit got himself into because of his curiosity, but out of which he extricated himself as an expense of the whole fraternity of water animals. It seems that no one on occasion, the king of fishes, was a little indiscreet, and while snapping greedily at a worm, got a hook through his nose. He succeeded in breaking the line, and escaped, having his royal bones picked by some hungry mortal, but he was still in great dilemma, for he could in no way remove the cruel hook. His finny majesty grew very ill. All the officials of his kingdom were summoned and met in solemn council, from the turtle to the whale, each one wore an anxious expression, and did his best at thinking. At last the turtle was asked for his opinion, and announced his firm belief that a poultice made from the fresh eye of rabbit would remove the disorder of their sovereign at once. He was listened to attentively, but his plan was conceded to be impractical, since they had no fresh rabbit eyes or any means of obtaining them. Then the turtle again came to the rescue, and said, that he had a passing acquaintance with the rabbit, whom he had occasionally seen when walking along the beach, and that he would endeavour to bring him to the palace, if the doctors would then take charge of his work, for the sight of blood disagreed with him, and he would ask to absent himself from the further conduct of the case. He was royally thanked for his offer and sent off in haste, realising full well that his career was made in case he succeeded, while he would be very much unmade if he failed. I was a very hot day as a fat turtle, dragged himself up the hillside, where he fortunately espied the rabbit, the latter having jumped away a short distance. 
<clears throat> cocked his ears and looked over his back to see who was approaching. Perceiving the turtle, he went over and accosted him with, What are you doing away up here, sir? I simply came up for a view. I've always heard that the view over the water from the hills was excellent, but I can't say it pays one for the trouble of coming up. And the turtle wiped off his long neck and stretched himself out to the cool air breeze. You are not high enough. Just come with me if you want to see a view. And the rabbit straightened up as if to start. No, indeed. I have had enough for once. I prefer the water. Why, you should see the magnificent sights down there. The beautiful green forests of waving trees, mountains of cool stones, valleys and caves, great open plains, made beautiful by companies of brightly robed fish, royal processions from our palaces, and best of all, the water bears. You up, and you go. Everywhere, without exertion. No, let me return. You have nothing on this dry, hot earth worth seeing. The turtle turned to go, but the rabbit musingly followed. At length he said, Don't you have any difficulty in the water? Doesn't get any rise in your mouth? For he longed in his heart to see the strange sights. Oh no, it bothers us no more than air, after we have once become accustomed to it, said the turtle. I should very much like to see this place, said the rabbit, rather to himself, but it's no use, I couldn't live in water like a fish. Um, why certainly not, said the turtle, concealed his excitement under the air of indifference. You could get along by yourself, but if you really wish to see something that will surprise you, you make it on my back. Give me your forepaws and I will take you down all right. After some further assurance, the rabbit accepted the apparently generous offer, and on arriving at the beach, he allowed himself to be firmly fixed to the turtle's back, and how they went in the water, to the great discomfort of the rabbit, who, however, eventually became so accustomed to the water that he did not mind it much. He was charmed and bewildered by the magnificence of everything he saw, and especially by the gorgeous palace through which he was escorted by attendant fishers to the sick chamber of the king, where he found a great council of learned doctors who welcomed him very warmly. While sitting in an elegant chair and gazing about at the surrounding magnificence, he chanced to hear a discussion concerning the best way of securing his eyes before he should die. He was filled with horror, and questioned an attendant. The whole plot was explained to him. The poor fellow scratched his head and wondered if he could ever get out of the palace alive. At last, a happy thought struck him. He explained to them that he always carries about two pair of eyes, his real ones, a pair made of mountain crystals, to be used in very dusty weather. Fearing that the water would injure his real eyes, he'd buried them in the sand before getting upon the turtle's back, and was now using his crystal ones. He further expressed himself as most willing to let them have one of his real eyes, with which to cure his majesty's disorder, and assured them that he believed one eye would answer the purpose. He gave them to understand that he felt highly honoured as being allowed to assist in such important work, and declared that if he would give them the necessary order, he would hasten on the turtle's back to the spot where he had buried the eyes and returned speedily with one. Marvelling much at the rabbit's courtesy, the fishers slunk away into the corners, for very shame at their own rude conduct in forcibly kidnapping him, when a simple request would have accomplished their purpose. The turtle was rather roughly commanded to carry the guest to the place designated, which he did. 
Once released by the turtle, to dig for the eyes in the sand, the rabbit shook the water from his coat, winking at his clumsy betrayer, told him to dig for the eyes himself, that he only had one pair, and those he intended to keep. With that, he tore away up the mountainside, and as ever after being careful to give the turtle a wide berth. <laughs> and that's the story of the birds and obviously all the, I don't know, little tales. I love them. But that's the Korean tale of the rabbit. It's very beautiful. Thank you for listening and many blessings.